Instead of highlighting their achievements and celebrating them as heroes, which is the custom, the author spent the majority of their time talking about how Benjamin Franklin was a womanizer, John Adams was extremely cruel to his wife, Alexander Hamilton was arrogant, and Thomas Jefferson was a slave owner and fathered several children through one of his slaves. Now, my guess is that book would not be a New York Times bestseller. People long for heroes. This is one of the reasons that we have this fascination with Marvel and DC movies. We want to read and watch stories where there are heroes, not just villains. But as we study the book of Genesis, we see the flow of God's redemption and restoration coming through deeply flawed individuals. Moses writes a story where it's impossible to fall into hero worship. And we see this very clearly in our passage this morning. As Moses begins telling the story of the passing of the baton from Jacob to Joseph. So as we look at our passage this morning, I want us to look at two main points. And the first is, all have sinned. And then secondly, God works through sin. Let me pray for us. Father, we're grateful this morning for a cool breeze. We're grateful for sunshine. We're grateful for the opportunity to come and study your word. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take away distractions, the noise of the street, the sun, even the wind. And Lord, that you would work through your word to transform our hearts, to take this very familiar text to many of us and help us see it with fresh and new eyes. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So if you have your bulletins, I encourage you to pull them out or you can also look at your Bible. And the first thing that we're going to consider this morning is all have sinned. Now in our text this morning, we see Jacob's idolatry, Joseph's arrogance, the brother's jealousy, and the slave trader's utter disregard for human dignity. Let's start with Jacob's idolatry or favoritism. Scripture tells us that the sins of the father are passed down generations. And we see this very clearly in Jacob's story. As we discussed several weeks ago, Isaac and Rebekah, they played favorites with their sons. Isaac favored Esau and Rebekah favored Jacob. Now the consequences of their sin of favoritism caused incredible strife and division in their family system. And the sin of favoritism took root in Jacob's heart as he favored Rachel over Leah. And now we see he's favoring Joseph over his other sons. Look in verse 1. Moses sets the scene telling us that after Rachel's death, Jacob lived in the land of the father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. And in verses 2 through 3, we see Jacob's favoritism of Joseph on full display. First, we see Jacob, he refuses to rebuke Joseph for telling on his brothers. 
in verse 3, because Jacob loved Joseph more than any of the other sons, when Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers, and he brought a bad report of them to his father, his father didn't say, like all of us fathers would say, stop tattletelling on your brothers. No, Jacob receives the bad report. Secondly, we see in Jacob him favoring Joseph as he gives him this famous robe of many colors. Now, in the ancient Near East, it was customary for the father to give the firstborn son the robe of many colors. It was an outward symbol of his birthright and blessing. Now, Jacob had 12 sons, and Reuben was the firstborn. So Reuben should have received the famous robe of many colors. But what does Jacob do? He favored Joseph more than his other sons, and he gave that robe to Joseph. Thirdly, we see Jacob's favoritism as he makes Joseph a watchman over his brothers. Look at verse 12. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And in verse 14, So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and, the, and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. Now, very interestingly, Joseph should have been out with his brothers pasturing the flock, but instead, what was he doing? Because he was the favorite, he was at home with his dad. And what does his dad do? He makes Joseph middle management. He basically says, go out into the fields, find your brothers, and oversee them. Jacob struggled with the sin of favoritism. Now, as for Joseph, his sin is arrogance. Joseph had grown up with a father who worshipped him, and as a result, we see a young man at 18 years of age who is naively arrogant. Joseph reminds me a lot of Galinda in Wicked, for those of you who have seen Wicked. Now, Galinda, I mean, you, you can only laugh at her arrogance. I mean, she's singing this song popular teaching alphabet how to be popular and at the very end but just not as popular as Galinda is Galinda is naively arrogant and in the same way Joseph is naively arrogant he wears being his father's favorite as a badge of honor and so what we see he has this dream and in this dream, he says, Behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. Joseph had no hesitation in telling his brothers that one day they were going to bow down to him. Because, of course, everyone's going to bow down to Joseph because Joseph thought well of himself. And then he has a second dream where not only did his brothers bow down to him, but also his mom and dad. And once again, Joseph, naively arrogant, shared that dream with his brothers and with his father. And then in, in verse 4, we see you have Joseph, who was naively arrogant, Jacob, who struggled with favoritism, and the brothers 
They're not innocent either. They struggle with jealousy. Look in verse 4. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. And then in verse 5, when he told them of the dream, they hated him even more. And then in verse 8, his brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. In verse 11, his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. And then later in the chapter, we see this jealousy taking root so much in the brothers' hearts that they plot together to kill Joseph. And then later, they sell him to the Ishmaelites. The brothers' sin is jealousy. Joseph's sin is arrogance. Jacob's sin is favoritism. And lastly, we see the slave traders, their sin is utter disregard for human dignity. Look down in verse 28. After the brothers had thrown Joseph into a pit, the Midianite traders passed by. And they drew Joseph up and they lifted him out of the pit. And they sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Then down in verse 36. The Midianites, they took Joseph to Egypt where they sold him to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. The Midianites treated Joseph like they would treat an animal. They had no regard for his humanity. And what we see in in chapter 37 is while there's moments of goodness displayed by Reuben and Judah to spare Joseph's life, there are no heroes in this story. They are all a mess. Which begs the question, why would Moses tell such a salacious story like this? And the answer is because the kingdom of God comes through people telling their stories honestly. The Bible is the only book where all the heroes look bad. The patriarchs, the kings, the disciples, and Paul's churches, they're all a mess. The more honest you are about the darkness, the more God's light will shine in and through you. The famous theologian G.K. Chesterton Chesterton was asked by a reporter, what's the biggest problem facing the world today? His answer, dear sir, I am. God's means of building his kingdom is through people who are willing to admit they are a mess, who look to Christ for forgiveness and healing, and who trust in the one true hero to give them the power to bring about renewal and restoration in the world. Who is it easier for you to hug? A kid who's dressed up in a three-piece suit, clean, and he has a smirk on his face? Or a kid who is completely muddy, crying with his arms stretched out wide? The answer for all of us is so much easier to move toward that kid who is muddy and crying in a mess. The Bible is a story of a bunch of kids who are muddy and crying and with their arms stretched out wide, asking Jesus 
to whisk them up in their arms and to love them. So the question for all of us this morning is do we tell our stories in such a way that only God can be the hero? Do you tell your stories in such a way that only God can be the hero? Do we share about our darkness in such a way that others see Christ's light? Do we point people to ourselves or do we point people to Jesus? We are a mess. Everybody in this chapter is a mess. They've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the good news of this chapter and what we see secondly in our text is that God works through our sin. It's interesting because God, He's not mentioned one time in this text. Yet His fingerprints are all over the story. There is not one detail that unfolds, whether good or bad, that surprises God. And that He does not work through to keep the light of redemption and restoration glowing. In verse 12, we're told that the brothers, they had gone to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And in verse 15, when Joseph arrives in Shechem, and he doesn't see his brothers there, they're nowhere to be found, it just so happens that a man was found wandering in the fields. And that man asked Joseph, what are you seeking? How random can this be? And Joseph tells him that he's seeking his brothers. And this one man that's wandering out in the fields, he just so happened to have overheard the brothers say where they were going to go. In verse 17, he heard them say, let's go down to Dothan. So Joseph goes to Dothan and he finds his brothers there. And then in verse 18, the brothers see Joseph from afar and they come up with this evil plot. They're going to kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And then in verse 21, it just so happens that Reuben, who hated Joseph, Reuben was the eldest, he should have had the coat of many colors. It just so happens that he seeks to rescue him. And then in verse 22, Reuben pleads with the brothers to not kill Joseph, but instead to throw him in the pit, that he might rescue him out of the pit and restore him to his father. And then in verse 25, we see the callousness of the brothers. Joseph is down in this pit, probably crying out, and they're sitting around eating dinner. When it just so happens that a caravan of Ishmaelites come from Gilead on their way to Egypt. And then in verse 26, now Judah, not knowing about Reuben's plan to rescue Joseph, he just so happens, and he hated Joseph as well, to come up with his own plan to spare Joseph's life. Judah convinces the brothers to sell Joseph to the Ishmaelites, who just so happened to be riding by. And then in verse 36, it just so happens that the Midianites, and again, it's a little confusing, the Midianites and the Ishmaelites are the same people. They sell Joseph, not just to anyone, but to Potiphar, an officer and a highly influential person in Pharaoh's court. And Joseph, because of his relationship with Pharaoh, is able to rescue Israel from a great famine. As we read through this story, 
there are a lot of just so happens. Too many coincidences to conclude that they were actually coincidences at all. For in every coincidence, we see the hidden hand of God working through sin. Brueggemann says, Joseph's narrative concerns God's hidden and decisive power, which works in and through, but also against human forms of power. God is always at work, even when we don't see Him. And none of the sin of Joseph, of Jacob, of the brothers, or even the Midianites, none of the sin prevented God from bringing about redemption. Jacob's favoritism, Joseph's arrogance, the brothers' jealousy, the slave traders' utter disregard for humanity, none of it, none of it is too great for God to bend for His loving purposes. God watches over everything. The coat, the dreams, the stranger, the pits, the Midianites. God uses broken, sinful people like you and me to further His kingdom. The betrayal of Judas, the cowardice of Peter, the weakness of Pilate, every detail is part of the redemption of the world. The whips, the crown, the cross, the nails, the spear. We do not have to pretend to be afraid of the dark. God is using all of it to bring healing, redemption, transformation, and hope. And so no matter what you're facing today, this week, next week, months ahead, no matter how dark the world might seem or the darkness around you might feel, we believe in a God who works through sin to accomplish His purposes. We believe in a God who would choose to use broken men and women and children like you and I to be partner with Him and to build His kingdom. We believe in a God who would send His own Son to the cross and experience complete darkness and separation even from His Father. That God raised that Son. And now He is alive. We've seen God work bending our circumstances Jesus' circumstances in order to build His kingdom. And this morning, we celebrate Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. We celebrate the good news that though all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, for those of us who profess faith in Him, we will have eternal life. And God is using us to go out and to preach the good news the good news that Jesus Christ is alive. The good news that Jesus Christ is going to come again. And the good news that one day we will all be with Him forever and ever and ever. He calls us to come and feast. This will be a taste of what is to come. And so if you'll stand with me